0: The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor with no day-to-day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership, the limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up, the limited partner is more than just a podcast it's a community to learn to participate to connect there's no other community out there like this for limited partners so subscribe to the podcast but most importantly join the community at thelimitedpartner.com. welcome to the podcast with your host jake wiley all right well welcome partners this week i'm joined by john casman so john is from casman capital group did i get that right And uh, John, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Jake, thank you for having me, man. Uh, really excited to be here. And I'm glad that you have a focus on the limited partner, the passive investor, the person who is trying to maximize their value, because that's exactly who we like to talk to and try to help out as well.
0: You'll find that it's a really small world and that there's not a lot of people really focused on helping limited partners get this stuff right. I'm excited for the show, but maybe to kick it off for, for those of you guys out there that don't know John, John, if you why don't you share a little bit of background on where you started and how you ended up where you are.
1: Yeah. So to give you a little bit of taste of what we do, I mean, we really help busy professionals earn passive income so that they can pursue their passions. You know, my background is in corporate America. I was in advertising and marketing for 15 years and through different circumstances, I realized that I could not rely on a W-2 job. Um, In short, I went through a company, really well-known company (laughs) that ended up going through bankruptcy and I watched a lot of my peers get let go. And it just taught me that this dream of getting a great job and working until you retire, uh, was not something that was really sustainable and it was really risky. So, having another stream of income became very important to me at that time. I slowly started to invest in real estate and building my own personal portfolio. Uh, but at that time, you know, I was working a full time job, I started to have a family and having small children, trying to invest in real estate, had a lot going on. And ultimately, I discovered that, you know, you can scale in real estate and invest in larger properties. And that actually made it a little bit easier to manage. We have now helped uh, families and other professionals invest in over 100 million million dollars worth of apartment buildings. And it's actually easier for both the limited partners and for myself because that scale affords us the ability to implement professional systems, processes, teams, dedicated staff. And it's much easier than running around the city trying to find a contractor to you know handle your your single family or your duplex property. So that's what we do. We try to help other people get the same benefits that commercial real estate has to offer and really just teach and educate people why they should be investing in commercial real estate, particularly apartments.
0: I love that story. And at I- I actually want to dig in a little bit on your what I call the origin story. Like you, a lot of us started, you know, in the smaller stuff and then and made a transition. Let's talk about what you did in the beginning days, your your smaller, frustrating properties, and then what really was the catalyst and then how you made that transition into the bigger scale.
1: Well, you know, many people reference like the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that book was really instrumental for me as well. One, just understanding that you really do need passive income. So that was something that really was important. But there's another lesson in that book, and he talks about working to develop skills, not just for salary or a pay increase. And that was something that I always wanted to hone in on so I could develop my skills, particularly in advertising and marketing and communications, so that we could figure out how I could leverage that for other things. I mentioned going through bankruptcy. I was at General Motors where we went through that structured bankruptcy and watching multiple rounds of layoffs. And ultimately, I moved to Chicago. I knew I wanted to move and start to invest in real estate. We started with the house hack, two-unit property. My wife and I lived in one unit. We rented out the other unit. And that worked extremely well for us. We believed in real estate, you know, after seeing what that property was able to do for us. We then invested in a three-unit property. We took the proceeds from that first property, still lived in it, but we were able to do a refinance, a line of credit with uh, over six figures in it. We used that to buy an eight-unit property. And at that point, I really believed in the power of real estate, but I couldn't figure out how to scale. So I talked to a lot of people who were doing larger deals and scaling, and two things came up. One was this notion of partnering with other people. And that was really interesting because as I talked to my friends who were watching what we were doing and very excited about what we were doing. They were also very cautious because they just didn't know. Real estate was risky to them and they hadn't spent the time that I had spent you know, going to events and meetups and reading books and networking with other people. So for them, they felt more comfortable investing with someone like myself, but I wasn't ready to bring on investors at that point. So I went through an education process myself to learn more about why what I was doing was working, what to learn and really how to work and partner with other people. The other thing that happened for me at that time was learning that you can generate more money by maybe flipping properties. So I tried to flip properties, but that actually did not work Out as well, partially because I just had a lot on my plate. You know, I was again working a full-time job, had two kids at this point under you know, under five years old. Uh, I had these rental properties already. Now we're trying to flip. And flipping's different because that's really blue-collar type stuff. You know, you've got crews there every single day, and you got to stay on top of them to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. And I'm working downtown in a corporate office, and it was really difficult to stay on top of all those things. So I would find myself trying to leave the office to check in. and check out the property and see the progress they were making. And it was just a nightmare, to be honest with you. So for me, I realized, you know what, staying focused on the larger apartment buildings, the multifamily properties, that was really the better approach for me. And quite frankly, if I could go back at that time, knowing what I know now, I would have invested as an LP first because I was that busy professional who believed in real estate and believed in multifamily, but I did not have the time myself, particularly with my two young children. Those are the people I wanted to spend my time with since I was already working this demanding job. But instead, I just ended up working a second job and I was working all the time instead of spending that time with my family. And I recall for me, I just had a, a come to Jesus moment where I looked at it and said, you know, you said that your family is your priority. but Really work is your priority because that's all you're doing. You're working or and when you're not working your day job. You're working on the real estate business and you maybe get, you know, an hour a day to spend with your family before you're right back at it. So I really had to rethink that and figure out how to get a little bit more of my time back. And that was really important.
0: I love the story in there. One. And for those of you that are out there listening, you know, I'm probably going to ask this. So you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and so many people that have been on this podcast mentioned that as like a catalyst for them. So I'm going to digress a little bit because I always do. This is so fascinating is that there's a million books written about real estate. And for some reason, that's the one that seems to get people up and out of their chair to do something. What, what was it about it for you that really kind of sparked an interest? And by the way, we're going to have Kiyosaki on this call, this podcast at some point, because I just think there's some magic there.
1: Yeah, listen, I, I think the first thing is you have to believe in real estate first. And most most people don't. You can't. Like, how do you just believe in real estate out of the gate? So if we can back it up, uh, I had a great conversation with a guy named Mike Verrett just yesterday, interviewed him for my podcast. And one of the thing that Mike talks about is most business owners make a mistake because we go straight to the services or straight to the solutions without really understanding the problem that a customer or a client is facing. And in this case, one of the reasons Rich Dad Poor Dad resonates so much more than other books is because people aren't necessarily sold on real estate, right? That's not the problem. The problem is I don't have enough in my real estate portfolio. Who cares? The problem is I want to spend more of my time doing the things that I love. I don't want to work 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks for the next 30 years. That's the problem. The problem is you see yourself slaving away at this job, particularly if it's a good paying job, right? Where, you know, you can't really complain about it because you're making good money and no one wants to hear your sob story, right? But on the same note, you're not fulfilled. And that's the thing that the book gets at. The rich dad, poor dad. The poor dad is actually making money too, right? If you remember the book, the poor dad's not broke. He's not poor. He just doesn't control his time and he doesn't have an ability to scale. You know, he's making good money, but he doesn't control his life. And the rich dad does. And this notion of passive income, of making money while you sleep, of breaking down how money works, I think that really resonates with people. The real estate is really, I mean, quite frankly, it's a secondary or tertiary component to the book as much as it is understanding that you don't want to spend your entire life working for dollars. And if you can understand and comprehend that concept, now it expands your mindset to think about how to put your money to work, how to be a business owner, how to be an investor, how to move to one of the different quadrants. And I think that was really important for people before you could transition into real estate. You have to understand why you need to be doing something else with your money as opposed to saving it or, you know, you got your 401k, so that'll take care of retirement and you can spend the rest of your money however you just feels fit, Right. That book really helps people understand the way money really works in a way that is simple and easy to grasp. And uh, there aren't a whole lot of books that do that. So to me, it's not even a real estate book. It's just a book to help people understand how money works.
0: I think that was incredibly well said. I think what we're all looking for is not real estate. It's not an asset. It's not more work. What we're looking for is what that gives us, right? So like you have to define that. But I think most people are looking for more time, more opportunities to do things. And like what what I like to say a lot of times is, you know, what would you do... If like, you know, using a baseball analogy, like you could get up to the bat and swing for the fences every single time, knowing that like you just get to come right back up to bat. And that's what happens like when you kind of cross into this, like what I would consider like a limited partner lifestyle is that you've got assets and passive income paying for your life. And then you really get to go out there and swing. Like what would you do? And that's so empowering. And I think what you just said is so really right on about the book that I love it. It's getting to the root of that, right? It's not thinking like, okay, most real estate investment... Books are about investing in real estate. How to do this, do that. This actually speaks to the life that you really want. And it's not the real estate. You're right. So well said.
1: Yeah. I mean, that book is extremely popular for a reason. I, I think that's it, right? It, it forces people to think differently. And, you know, if you're trying to stand out, no matter what it is you're trying to do, part of what you have to do is almost jar someone's way of thinking. You know, you've got to get them to pay attention. And the title, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be a parable about, you know, two different dads. And as you get into it, you're like, wait, the poor dad's not really poor right and and then i think that juxtaposition really helps people to understand the framework for me you know like many Americans as a culture we don't talk about money people don't sit down and have these in-depth conversations about money even if you talk about it with your parents you're probably not talking about it with your friends you're not sitting down saying hey how much are you making what are you putting it into that's just not a thing that Americans do having a, a book or having platforms to really get educated on the way money works beyond get a good job and that that's it, right? And invest in a stock market, that's really helpful. And I think that really allowed people to think a little bit differently.
0: And I guess really carrying on that theme and thinking about like, what is, what does it mean to be a limited partner? So most people like you and I, we come to the conclusion that real estate is the right vehicle, right? Like it's, it's safe, it's tangible. There's money to be made. I'll own all of this. I jumped in with both feet. I've I've bought houses, I've flipped houses, I've held houses, I've been a landlord, anything, you name it, I've done it, but it becomes a job, right? And, And now like to your point earlier, like you're working two jobs and it's harder, but like that is what people think that is the next step. And and really part of the reason I created this entire limited partner podcast in the community is about saying, well, you can have the benefits of real estate without investing in it directly right? Like you can be truly a passive hands-off investor and get similar returns as if you did it yourself and possibly better because you've got professionals managing all of the pieces of the puzzle for you. So, you know, you go out and do it on your own. I mean, if you'd done it in the past five years, you would have looked great, right? Because everybody did. But when, you know, things stabilize or it actually takes a downturn, it's going to be professionals that are the ones that are still making money and capitalizing on the opportunity. But I'd love to get your thoughts on what does it mean to be a limited partner? One, you said you probably would have jumped into at first, but I'd love to get your thoughts.
1: Jake, I mean, you nailed it, right? I mean, the benefits of being a limited partner is you get to lean on the experience of a more experienced operator. And instead of you coming on and taking on all this risk as a person with zero experience or very limited experience, maybe you've done a deal or two, but that's the experience you have. So you're always going to face a new challenge when you're buying a property. That actually has way more risk than investing with a group that has scale and that has more experience. Let's use an example here. Let's say you want to invest in real estate. So you want to buy a single family house that you're going to rent. You need to put maybe $10,000 into it to fix it up a little bit and you're going to rent it out. Let's say you do that. Great. Congratulations. Your house is either 100% rented or 0% rented at all times. And if it's 0% rented, you know you're losing revenue. You have nothing coming in to cover those expenses. But even with that, if you have a big ticket item, a roof issue, or you've got to replace the furnace or anything like that, that. It will wipe out all of your profits for at least a year. If you invest in a larger deal, first of all, you're now talking about working with an experienced operator. So those are the kind of things that we are going to anticipate. We are going to have reserves set aside for things that could go wrong. But because of the scale, something like that happens all the time. But if you buy a 100 unit apartment building, that property is typically going to be anywhere between 90% or maybe even 85% of the low end occupied up to 95, 97% percent occupied. And because it's at that 90 percent threshold or more, we can pretty much project what the financials are going to be on any given month. So we're going to look at it more like a company. And I come from corporate America, so this is what I'm used to. So I'm going to forecast out what the numbers are and it's going to ebb and flow a little bit. You know, it might be off a little bit, a little higher this month, a little lower next month, but it's going to be relatively predictable you've got that one family property, again, you don't know when that resident is going to move. You hope they stay. You hope they stay till the end of the lease and you've got a plan in place. But what if they just move out in the middle of the night? They got a job opportunity and they need to they need to move out next week and they're gone. You may not be prepared for those kind of swings. And if you've got to be the person who does this or not go find a maintenance guy to fix whatever the issue is, it's taking up a lot of your time. You know, and you're dealing with people who are not experts because you can't afford to pay somebody top dollar to come fix that thing. Right. But again, if you you work with a professional company, but we have a full-time maintenance person on staff. So that person is already there. He's getting paid no matter what. We're anticipating a certain amount of things that need to be done on any given moment. So we have the scale to manage that because we can afford to to take on that person's salary to do it. So it's just a more professional approach. And even with all of that, now you've got an operator or somebody who's got experience overseeing these kind of deals. And they're going to be the ones who are having those conversations with the maintenance crew or the team to make sure everything is being the right way. So as a limited partner, the work you have to do is upfront, figuring out who do you want to invest with? What markets do you like? What's your strategy? Who meshes with your strategy? Who shares your values? And once you find that individual, you certainly want to reach out, ask any questions that you have, but they're going to do the lion's share work. When there's a turnover, you don't have to worry about listing the, new, the property, taking pictures, listing it, figuring out what it should rent for today, making sure that it gets cleaned, you know, scheduling the open house, all of those little things that add up particularly if you're already busy. You know, if you're working 50 hours a week right now, you've got a family to sit there and now have to write an ad to post this new unit and to go take pictures and to show it and to get the maintenance crew to come over there and get the cleaning crew to come over there. It's just unnecessary work that you're taking on. So if you can simply get the passive income, you can use that to really focus on the things that you are passionate about. And that is the reason most of us invest. Otherwise, if you just wanted a little extra money, you could go get a second job. And very few people want to do that. So the equity is is great. But when you are an investor, that's about your money working, not you, right? If you are doing work, then that's sweat equity. And that's great. That's building a business. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But you just want to be very really intentional about what it is you're trying to accomplish. If you really just want the money, to find opportunities to invest and get a return, not necessarily put another 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week into a new business or a new venture that is supposed to give you more free time. But in reality, it's taking up even more time.
0: I will attest, since I've owned a bunch of rental properties and flips and everything that you can imagine. Things go bad or the problems only happen like on the worst possible day. So dead of summer when like it's a hundred and something degrees outside and Saturday night, that's when it always happens. And same thing in the winter coldest, rainiest, snowiest day possible and always on Saturday night or over the holidays. So like if you're looking for a project over the holidays, like get into rentals.
1: Yeah. I felt like every time my wife and I were getting ready to take a vacation, something would happen. Like we'd get in the car, we're we're at the airport. Hey, you know, the furnace stopped working. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, so uh, you're right. You know, the the timing is never ideal when these things happen. Uh, Nothing's waiting for you to be perfectly sitting there with nothing to do with your, you know, your hammer out and waiting on a phone call. It doesn't happen that way. It's going to come at a time that's inopportune and uh, you're going to have to figure it out and shuffle your life around. And, and there's strategies and things you can do. I'm not saying that, hey, you should never do it. I'm saying just be intentional with what you want to do. You may not be in a position to invest as a limited partner today. And that's fine. And if you need to put in that sweat equity, that's fine. But for most people, if you have the means to invest, to make another 1% return by doing it all yourself, when you factor in the hours that you've invested, are you giving yourself credit for that? And that's something people don't do. They sit there and they say, oh, well, John, you know, I'll get an 8% return if I do a deal with you. But if I do it myself, I'll get a 10 or 11% return. Yeah, but are you factoring in the hours that you're going to work? How much do you get paid? What are you worth? Let's say you're worth a hundred bucks an hour. Are you calculating? Are you billing yourself out at a hundred bucks an hour for all this extra work that you're going to do now on this project? Because if you're not, you can't tell me you made an 11% return because that's the big difference on the deals that we're doing when you're a limited partner. You're getting a return on your money. To win this as an active investor, you have to factor in the return on your time time and the return on your money. And I promise if you do it that way, you'll be really disappointed with the return as a whole.
0: I totally agree. And I think that you you hit this point and I want to bring it back up for my listener out there. Like you've heard this before, but I, I will hammer it home because everybody says it. it's a key point. When you're a limited partner, you do your work up front. and there is work and you need to know what you're getting into and you need to take the time to make the right investment because it is like a marriage. I mean, you could be in this thing five, seven, 10 years depending on the the market and the cycle, especially when you thought you were going to exit, things could be different. John, what are your, I guess, what's your advice? What What are some of the mistakes that you've seen?
1: I think first and foremost, just aligning values. Understand what that person is looking to do. There are operators who are in various markets. There are operators who have different strategies. Some like to focus on appreciation potential. Some like to focus more on cash flow. Some like to find a balance. So figure out what you are trying to accomplish. Really important thing is to look at your life stage. You may be someone who is maybe a little bit older, closer to retirement age, and you are truly just looking for the cash flow to supplement the income you're gonna lose when you retire. Right, or maybe you already retired and you just want that cash flow so you can live off of. Well, if that's the case, make sure you're investing in deals where there's efficient cash flow and you feel comfortable with that. Maybe you're a younger person and you feel like you got 20, 30 years before you need to retire or really tap into this money. In that case, you may want more appreciation of Upside. So maybe you're willing to take on a little bit more risk or deals that have, you know, a little bit more room to grow and hit that home run, as you alluded to. That's important for you to understand is the strategy of what you're hoping to accomplish, given your risk tolerance and your life stage and the investor strategy, the operator strategy, and the kind of deals that they're looking for. Now, it's great to find a blend of both. But again, I think it's just really important for you to know what to look for. I will tell you that I find people all the time who don't understand the communication style. And that could be another little challenge because if you're someone who you need a little handholding, you want to be able to talk to the person and ask questions, make sure you're working with somebody who's going to pick up the phone and talk to you. You know, When you call them, do they answer or do they simply say, hey, write the check when you're ready and you don't really need to talk to me after that. So again, just understand the kind of person you're dealing with. I think people get too caught up in returns and track records is very important. But as you alluded to, Jake, most people have been pretty successful over the last five years. I think the philosophy and the fundamentals and the principles of an organization the systems, the processes, those are the things that are are more important to understand because that's going to be an indication of how this company is going to perform when the market changes.
0: You brought up a great point about communication and I've actually been doing a lot of work on like just personality style lately, right? As we think about how do you communicate with people? And there might be somebody that really is not a great communicator in your mind, right? Just because their personality style is different. They're like, here's the facts and like, this is what we're doing. And that's okay. That just might not be the right person for you if you want like robust and verbose, you know, update every month, every quarter. And you will find that when you do your diligence. And a lot of it is just connecting with somebody in a group that you feel comfortable with. It's going to meet your needs. And I think I was doing some math on it. There's like 20 million apartment buildings in the U.S., So there's always a pressure of like, hey, we got a great deal. We got a great deal. You got to invest now. There is another one that is going to go on the market tomorrow and the next day and the next day and, you know, multiple. So you don't need to feel pressured into jumping into something because you feel like you're going to miss out on an opportunity. Find the right people, right? Because you're going to be stuck in this relationship five to seven years and like you really don't want to regret it because imagine how long you've spent earning the money that you're going to be putting into it, you know, using your 100 dollars an hour. I mean, that's a lot of hours when you start putting real money into an investment and you just want to feel good about that. And there's ways to do that, but it takes work on the front end.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's spot on. I think the the key is really understanding who you're dealing with, what the expectation is. And like you said, there's nothing wrong if someone has a different communication style. You know, for instance, I was talking to a buddy of mine and he's with the group and they very rarely send updates you know maybe a quarterly update at most or if there's something significant Uh, we send monthly updates you know, even if it's not a whole lot to report, we just want to let you know, hey, here's how the property's performing. Here's some key updates or here's some things that have happened. And we just want to remind them, hey, you know, we we'll just want to keep you in contact with your property and how it's performing. So you want to understand those kind of things. You know, what is your expectation and, and what do you need? There's nothing wrong. I can't say that, hey, this is right. This is wrong. But you've got to make sure you do something that feels comfortable for you, because I will tell you, I've seen people and I've known people who have invested with groups and had a good return. So they got the money, they got, you know, the numbers they were looking for, but they didn't have the experience that they were looking for. And we know that this is a relationship business, right? If I don't feel good with working with you or my experience working with you, even as you've delivered on the numbers, the chances of me reinvesting with you or working with you again in the future are probably slim. So part of it is the relationship and then part of it is actually being able to execute on what you said you're going to do.
0: Well, I guess in the the current environment, as things are starting to change, we're seeing pretty rapid rate increases, you know, inflation's been high. I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts taking a step back in the last five years? Like you could not have gone wrong, right? There was a blip in time, like during the early parts of COVID where I think everybody freaked out. There's rent moratoriums in the multifamily space. I think all of that stuff is kind of, it's water under the bridge now, but we're going into a, a different cycle. We're due for a cycle change, but what are your thoughts and what should we be looking out for now?
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I do not pretend to be an economist. I think anyone who tells you a certainty that this is what's going to happen is probably lying straight up or, uh, just misinformed. We don't know. So I'll tell you the way we're thinking about it and what we're doing to prepare ourselves and our investors. First and foremost, the interest rate environment is in flux right now. So it's it's going up, it's going down. We're not sure where things are going to net up. We're looking at inflation. You know, inflation is at an all-time high. We are also looking at, you know, record sales prices, both in residential as well as in commercial, but we're also seeing record demand. And this is global demand. We're talking about, you know, people from Europe and Asia and Canada who are looking to invest in the U.S. secured real estate. We're talking about institutional investors, family offices, the Blackstones of the world. They are looking to invest in secured multifamily properties. So demand continues to be strong because of all of the amazing benefits that you can get with commercial U.S. real estate. So you have to factor all of those things in and take a look at where demand is today, what people are looking for and what you should expect in the future. For us, we are still doing deals and we are looking at interest rates as more of a temporary correction right now. And because of that, I think having a temporary loan that does adjust is okay. And the reason I say that is it really depends on your business plan. If you're going to create value, meaning that you're going in, you're renovating your property, you're gonna be increasing the NOI, one of the things you wanna do is be able to unlock that value. You know, you wanna be able to either refinance or sell that property so you can take advantage of that. You know, one of the early deals we did, particularly when we were in a similar environment where interest rates looked like they were going to be shooting up crazy. Well, we did a a seven year loan, seven year fixed rate loan, and it was great for the interest rate. But we had offers where we could have sold in year three, but we couldn't take it because our prepayment penalty would have been way too high. So, I think you have to look at all of those different factors when putting together the right loan product. You know, is there a prepayment penalty? What's the pay down? What are some other ways you could protect yourself? Do you have proper reserves? You have to look at all of those things to figure out what the right loan product is for that deal. And you really have to keep your eye on the market so you can adjust. I think those who can pivot and adjust are going to be the ones who are successful. If you don't have a means to adjust your business plan, that's where you kind of get caught up. You know, if you've gone in and you, you know, you bought something where when interest rates were at 3.5% and your entire business plan is, you know, assuming that interest rates are going to stay around that number, then yeah, you might have some, some difficulties if people aren't willing to pay as much for that. But again, we're still seeing cap rates pretty compressed. Uh, They may expand at some point, but overall, we're still seeing demand pretty high for commercial real estate, particularly with multifamily.
0: I think those are great points and just things to be thinking of, right? Because the market is changing. So if you're having a conversation with a potential, operator, syndicator ask the question, like, how are they preparing for? What are the various factors that they're adjusting to make
1: that work? And Jake, if I could just clarify, that's on a deal by deal basis, right? I I don't want anyone to take this and run and say, oh, let's do bridge loans or, oh, let's do fixed loans. Like It really comes down to the business plan. And you, you can't speak in generalities because I think you have to look at the individual property. You have to look at what's the business plan for this property and then what's the right loan for us to implement our business plan and give us flexibility. And options to exit. So again, if you're buying something where there maybe isn't as much value add, it's more of a class A or it's a stabilized asset, well, you probably want a a fixed loan for that because, you know, you may not be able to increase the value of that property by a great amount to the point where you could go ahead and refinance if interest rates increase, right? So unfortunately, this is one of those things where there's not a blanket answer to say, here's how we do it. What I would say is this is exactly the kind of question you want to ask an operator and see how they respond, see how they respond to that question because it should just make sense. You know, if you've got a business plan, if you have clarity on what you're trying to accomplish, you should be able to articulate that to an LP or an investor. So use that as one of your guiding principles, like how do you approach this and see how they respond. And for us, it really comes down to a deal. We're always looking at the deal, the opportunity, the business plan, and we want to put together the best plan for that project. And sometimes it's going to be, you know, maybe a bridge loan or a temporary loan. And sometimes it may be, hey, you know what? We think the overall market is going to continue increase we want to hold this thing five years. It's a great property in a great location. So we want to put fixed debt on this thing. So it just kind of depends on the asset and the business plan. So that's something you want to talk to your operators about.
0: I think your point's about on, right? Is that like you have to ask these questions and get an answer that you feel good about, right? Because if there are zero, I guess, ideas or thoughts about how you're going to adjust or deal with the uncertainty of the future, then like probably not the right. But John, this has been an awesome conversation. I've, I've learned a lot and I really appreciate you being here, but I like to end every show with a little bit of gratitude because somebody helped you help me along the way that maybe I didn't deserve it. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to give them a shout out, maybe a couple people that have maybe given you an, an extra leg up when you needed it.
1: Man, the list is way too long for me to uh, call them out, especially over 10 years of investing. But I will tell you this, there's a guy who used to uh, attend a meetup in Chicago. He's the first person to make me think big, you know, and, and it's funny because he was buying, you know, 60, 70, 80 unit projects. And I mean, for some someone who hadn't even bought his first duplex. That was just incredible to me. And he was the first real person that I knew who was investing at that level. So just to be able to talk to someone who was playing the game at that level was very inspiring to me. I have a a guy named Steve as well. Steve was very helpful because Steve's the first person introduced me to this concept of syndication and group thinking or group investing. Joel Fairless is another one. Bree Schmidt's a good friend of mine. And she's another person who helped me um, really think through how to scale. Joel's a mentor of mine. And obviously has written great books and has great podcasts and great events. So a host of people, man, it, it definitely takes a village when you are looking to scale and to build a business and make that transition. So I just, you know, I could probably sit here for the next hour and name more people, but those are a handful of people who certainly have helped me out along my journey. Absolutely, Jake. Hey, thank you for having me. And if I could say this real quick for your listeners, if you want to learn a little bit more, one, you're listening to a great show right here, but I've found that podcast listeners like podcasts. Uh, So if you want another one to add to your your playlist there, I've got a show called Multifamily Insights. We've been doing a show for over four and a half years, and I'd ask you to check that out as well if you want another perspective on multifamily investing.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Well, thanks again, John.
1: Absolutely, Jake. Thank you for having me.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the limited partner podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the limited partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together, learn about what best in class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll
1: see you next time.